0: so thanks very much for coming uh and giving us some tips and tricks for the interview process so do you want to maybe just uh, take a second to introduce yourself
1: yeah thanks thank you balrick for inviting me uh to do it my name's rahul i'm an imt3 currently at chelsea and westminster hospital and i did my f1 and f2 in east london had a bit of time at barts cardiology and I've done my IMT training in West. Went to Harefield, and yeah, just went through the interview application kind of process. And I guess now I'm, you know, happy to talk about my reflections having having gone through it all. Nice. That's all very very well done. Uh, and where are you working next year? So I've chosen Northeast and Central Thames, going back to where I did my F1 F. Perfect.
0: So why don't you tell us a bit about? First of all, I suppose when when did you first decide? Yeah, I'm going to be applying for cardiology.
1: Yeah, so I I had an inkling from medical school, but kind of wasn't committed, keeping my options open. And then I did, I made sure I had a cardiology job in F1, did it. And I do remember this moment where I was like, yeah, this is it. And it was a similar feeling I had, you know, when you have to do work experience for medical school, a similar feeling of being like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And then from then on, I essentially started kind of gradually and slowly preparing. So there's this kind of shortlisting score, which you know that you'll have to tick off, right? And it's very similar for IMT applications and ST4 applications. So I was doing all the work anyway for, uh, for IMT. So then I just started making it a bit more cardiology focused but you know, so arguably maybe I was a bit earlier than others but I know a lot of colleagues who have decided a bit later I don't think it's made too much of a difference yeah. and then the as so of the
0: application process itself then so how did you how did you find application
1: process and how did you prep and when did you start preparing for the application yeah so yeah, so so I, as I say, there's there's a, a shortlisting score. It's on the internet. It tells you the points that you'll get for doing a quip, or and so you have that in your mind, and so you can kind of tailor your actions in life yeah. towards them. And some are harder to achieve than others. And so, for example, one was leadership in a kind of regional or national post That was something that I was struggling on, and I'd ask people basically, I'd ask. People in leadership positions, oh, how did they get it? Or, or consultants at hospitals if they had any advice. And then getting one through kind of this line of inquiry. But actually, interestingly, the, the kind of goalposts changed over the years. So when I was an F1, the, the kind of point score at that point for ST4 applications was very different than as it was this year. So that's also important to bear in mind, but essentially just ticking off the the list of things and something useful I did. I spoke to someone that was in the year above me last year about their views on the application process. Um, And they kind of just suggested things, you know, generic things like making sure I prepared early. And then actually your interview course was, was really useful. So you offered this free application workshop. And again, because the unknown can be a bit nerving, for example, you don't really know what's going on. um, And you kind of demystified a few things and just said that this is actually what you need to do uh, and you held it I remember like a couple months before which was useful so it was not like too late so that was kind of my my, my method of doing it, it was looking on the online kind of shortlisting score speaking to people getting advice and and attending your application workshop
0: yeah no it's definitely true not and not all points are uh, are created equally <laughs> there are <No>. some just, <laughs> I think the teaching one in particular take a a good year or so to get an extra point compared to just finishing a qi project <laughs>
1: exactly so so in my eyes it's like no excuse you, you've got to do that qi project but fair enough if you've not done a pg certs and actually what's quite interesting now i reflect i look at my score now i haven't done a phd i haven't done a higher teaching qualification but my shortlisting score is actually right near the top so what that really shows to me is you don't need to do a phd or a you know, a master's or a PG set, there's enough there with all the rest. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely.
0: And so then I suppose coming up to the interview process itself, mm. uh, the money marks uh, as they're called. So how did you, uh, how did you start preparing for that?
1: Yeah. So I guess as a basis, I, I spoke to people just as i had done for the application process, their general advice. I went for your interview course, which was, which was good. And even, you know, I, I, not that I have a vested interest, but even if it gives you that 1%, and for me, it gave me a bit more than 1%, it's worth doing. So, so that was something that, that was useful. And then I just prepared for each of the four stations, essentially, kind of slightly differently so perhaps i could talk about that if we just go in order of stations yeah that sounds absolutely reasonable let's do that so the first one let's say commitment to specialty and to me that kind of boils down to you know how do i show i'd be a good cardiologist and then the next question that might go on from that is well what makes a good cardiologist and they they give us the answer so there's this person specification that's on the internet and so the task then is trying to link your cv to the person specification so maybe that's best illustrated with like an example. So the, the first point on it is like cl- clinical knowledge and skills. That comes after like the can you speak English section. And thinking about that logically, how can you show that you've got cardiology knowledge? Well, having cardiology attachments and having hands-on experience would be one thing. Seek, trying to seek experiences. So let's say you didn't have... Um, and, uh, you know an attachment did you go on a taster week or did you go on any conferences to try and learn about it and skills like a, have you done a trans thoracic echo course or have you spent time in the cath lab basically just putting making yourself into that person that let's say when you start day one of SD 4 as a first year reg you will be as useful as you could be basically reasonably so that was the first thing kind of marrying thinking about what makes a cardiologist through that person's specification trying to marry my cv to show it
0: and then i think you touched on one really nice point actually is the the point of everyone's done a job in the specialty they want to do and somebody might not have had the opportunity to do as many jobs in special specialty they want to do but what really gets people excited and impressed is when someone's gone out of their way to seek the extra opportunities i think that's the that's what that's what really shows someone's commitment to specialty like uh, he, sometimes it's a bit you know, as we can all say with covid and mm. the imt uh the rotor managers like sometimes your rotors do get changed and your specialties and your attachments get changed but mm. what they can't change is when you seek out your conference or gain skills in your
1: particular space. yeah it's, it's common sense right it's uh, if you've shown that you're interested they're more likely to to go to yeah and then so you know that there'll be certain questions in this station and so I think it's definitely worth preparing for commonly asked questions. And I found help from like certain books. I've got one here. Everyone seems to get this kind of medical school interview book. Yeah. It looks as old as it is. So it's kind of had its good use. Yeah. And so it's the ISC kind of medical registrar interview skills textbook. And it has basically most of the questions that you'll need. And... So, like talk me through your CV and preparing a three to five minute answer for that I think you know know you're going to get I got asked why cardiology where do you see the future and I think they kind of assume that you'd prepare for these questions because they're often asked almost as like an icebreaker to get you into the the mode of talking so preparing for those and what I actually found so on your course you had a list of commonly asked questions and that kind of filled the gaps because that book was good but it did have a few gaps and you kind of had a for, at least for cardiology, you had some more specific questions. And I think that kind of plugged everything you needed to prepare for the, the station. So I think that's my reflection on that, the, you know, commitment to specialty one, just trying to demonstrate your commitment and preparing for the commonly asked questions. And that book is a good way to kind of direct yourself. Forward. Yeah.
0: No, I think i going through some of your preparation answers were very good. Some of the, I think also very important, just to prep your scenarios. So like, you know, you know, perhaps tell me about a time where you've done X or found yourself in this particular situation. The ability to just pick them and have rehearsed what you're going to say about each
1: scenario is so important rather than having to try and think about it on the spot. Yeah, exactly. I think that so. It happened to me. It comes onto the next station, the medical registrar suitability. I so I, I had this thing in mind. I don't want to be thinking de novo about a topic on the spot because it's pressure. So, yeah, pr- exactly as you said, trying to prepare as much as you can so you probably can cover as many potential questions is obviously better, but it takes time. And yeah, th- this is a time consuming process for sure. Um, but so yeah, the, the medical registrar suitability, I think it links quite nicely the next station. Yeah. It was a bit harder to prepare for because this, we were kind of the first cohort to go through it. So we're thinking, you know, what, what actually is going to come up here? And they do give you details on the websites where it's essentially based on these two capabilities in practice or SIPs. And each of these SIPs have their own subdivisions. So they're managing the acute unselected take and managing uh, a multidisciplinary team, including effective discharge planning. And, and one thing to say is all these questions are weighted and this is the least weighted of all the kind of questions, at least this year. Yeah. So I guess if, if you're gonna lose points on any, not that you'd aim obviously for four points, this would be the one where you, it wouldn't be as much of a disaster. And the way I actually went about this was I sat down with a friend, uh, we went through all the subheadings uh, and basically brainstormed what they could ask. And my reflection from the interview, just as you've said, is they're going to ask scenarios that you have faced. So tell me about a time that you've had a bad handover might be an example. So it's you have to think from your time as a medical reg, when have you faced all these scenarios? And I think the best way to approach this is have kind of stories or anecdotes that potentially cover more than one question. So like a one that might answer tell me about a pressurized scenario or a time you had to show leadership or where you had to use effective communication. And that obviously helps because you need to remember less. You can use them and using frameworks for them. So in this interview book, they talk about frameworks. So like the star framework, which is like situation task, actions and reflections or results to kind of explain how you how you went through that. So that was kind of my thoughts on that station. I think
0: sometimes actually
1: the framework that you
0: use doesn't matter so much as long as it's a as long as it's a fair framework and it makes makes sense. But not having a framework is where people become really unstuck and they kind of flip between the start and they go towards the reflection and they come back. Oh, but this also happened and reflect on it again, and it just seems a bit uh, muddled. It doesn't really do yourself justice. I think I think one of the key things that, from interviewing a lot of people now one of the key things that come across is the best candidates are able to very succinctly, very quickly tell you about the situation, and that's very quick. Then spend a bit more time, but again, not too long, on clearly identifying the issues at hand, whether it be patient safety or whether this is a team working issue. And understand like, some kind of nice global terms, what the problems are, and then really talk about what, how did they deal with it? Whether it was right or wrong, it doesn't actually really matter, but just how did you deal with it? And then the most important thing is reflection. And if you've got anything tangible that you've done to reflect on it, or you've changed something since, maybe you've done a QI project, or maybe you've done some other very small thing, or you've done something massive, it doesn't really matter, but as long as you've reflected and showed that you've genuinely taken it away and tried to do something about it, that's what really hits home. Uh, Because no one's expecting a finished product here. People do want someone who's engaged and willing to to, to change and learn.
1: yeah i agree it shows maturity doesn't it that and yeah i and that's just practice i remember you know with, with your interview kind of day we you did like a mock and i hadn't prepared it was i hadn't prepared that much at the time and you know it was it was, it was almost a bit embarrassing Like i knew i was making mistakes but that was it it was just preparation and there's the, you can't beat it can you
0: is it's, it's a novel one isn't it because you're not you're not necessarily a better doctor in January versus M- March, yeah, yeah. but in interviews, interview, you certainly come across the better doctor come March. So
1: yeah, I, I'd agree. Yeah. You, and, and this book actually is quite good at introducing you to those frameworks that just makes it a bit more succinct and, as I say, mature. Yeah. It was professionalism and governance. So all the, all the ethics. And and the way I did that is uh, for the knowledge I had kind of medical school ethics notes. that I just re-looked over and made sure I understood them. And then I read GMC, Good Medical Practice, and then that ISC medical interview book has a good chapter on common questions. It's got a big ethics chapter, hasn't it? Yeah. You
0: know, it's exactly. government structures and stuff.
1: So, so. so that was enough information, I thought. And then, so I had the knowledge, I had the direction from the book, and then it was just a bit of practice. And a lot of this is kind of interview thing about practicing with other people. And I think do what works for you. But I thought for this station in particular, it was quite useful because ethics can be quite subjective and getting a second opinion on how you answer a question is i think quite valuable so they were kind of my my thoughts on on that station
0: yeah
1: anything anything to add from your end no i the only thing i would
0: say is that ethics is again not highly weighted in most medical specialties but it often obviously gets covered in most and it's probably what the one that i'd prep for earlier on so you can get a lot, of the, a lot of the clinical knowledge a lot of the governance knowledge and ethical knowledge like the four pillars and things like that you kind of want to be done with that and know it well so you can really focus on the the money stuff which is the clinical scenarios you pull
1: that on so nicely so that such a nice it? seg isn't it here we go <laughs> <laughs> this is your first time doing that <laughs> uh, so the
0: yeah <laughs> so how do you how do you prepare for the
1: clinical scenarios then yeah. As you say, the money station. So 50% of the interview is, is based on this. Uh, so if you nail it, you're on your way. I think my first kind of thought on that of this is just don't over complicate things too much. And remember, it's aimed at a, an SD 4 uh, a first year registrar. And the interview preparation takes a long time. So I think bearing that, in, so you, you, I don't think you need to waste your time on kind of learning unnecessary sub niche details that you know st7 ep registrar might need to know and an example of this is i remember when i was repairing i asked one of my consultants about a thing about flecainide and she said well look if you're mentioning flecainide in your interview talking about this niche thing about it you're going wrong and really they just want someone that's that's showing that they're safe and they're being a good representative for their consultant and they're not going to make some crazy wrong decision using, you know, being overconfident and using knowledge that they think they know, but they're not, you know. So I think try to keep things simple. Other people may have different opinions on that. That's kind of my reflection. And that sounds a bit cliche, I think. But I remember a lot of my interview, I kind of, I remember like laughing to myself and finding it, that I was saying a lot of cliche buzzwords. But from what I've been told, the interviewers have this kind of mark scheme. And a lot of it are these just cliche buzzwords that you just have to tick off and so i don't think it's a bad thing if you're saying all these things like first i would be safe and speak to my consultant or yeah you know, things like that so maybe i think for this station it is a lot of just saying buzzwords and, and sounding a bit cliche and i think if you're doing that you're on the right path the buzzwords that you that you're going to have in your mind are oh, these are
0: things that be useful to do
1: yeah, I guess knowing knowing when to appropriately escalate. So in my clinical scenario, I it got to kind of a stage where I was like, well, oh, this is clearly above what is, and it is common sense. But when you're in a clinical scenario and in an interview, you kind of forget that, and you're like, oh, let me just show you this clever thing that I know. But in real life, you would never do that. You'd ask for an opinion. But I guess just remembering that. So that, I guess that's one. You put me on the spot now. What? what yeah. other, <laughs> Uh, I, had a, I had a list. I remember thinking, I just sounds so funny saying all this, but you, yeah. you have to. Yeah. Any that comes to your mind, as an, I'll have a think. I think once you've got the clinical knowledge down
0: to a T, I think it was just kind of speaking about beforehand, like the spice, the, those extra things. So, you, you know, I know that if I'm taking a patient to the cath lab, there's a few extra things. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the consent process. I'm going to talk about maybe making sure someone, someone gets in touch with their family, making sure the cath lab team are ready and prepping the patient. So, pads on and checking the right radial pulse and prepping the groin, you know, those are, those are kind of the, I suppose those are the, those are the spice things, but those are the things that, let's say for a, a cardioversion, you say, what well, cardioverting is not without its pragmatic difficulties in terms of organizing it in hospital. Uh-huh. so I need to try and have a chat to the anaesthetist, see if there's a friendly reg around that'll be around, or do I want to be doing this in the cat labs and can the reg come there? Is it going to be space in the labs to do it? Because it's be quite nice to do sort of TOE, something like anticoagulation. So I suppose it's a clinical scenario. For me, when I've been talking to people since and kind of helping people through it, I think it's having your, your knowledge of the buzz, phrases, or the important, the spice things to mention for each sub uh, category, like ischemia, yeah. arrhythmias, heart failure. I know there are things that I like gosh, don't, don't forget to mention this life. I'm going to talk about heart failure and I haven't talked about daily weights, <laughs> you know, it's just things that, you
1: know, that people love uh, to hear. Daily weights. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah and, and I remember you giving me this advice actually on the interview course. And I, I hadn't done a cardiology job for a bit of time before. And I, I was like, Oh no, how do I, you know, uh, how do I get, but you can ask people, you know, that that's the, that's the thing. There's a lot of time to prepare. And, um, thinking about these things early on is is useful. Yeah. And and that's what will maybe differentiate you and get the top rather than the, you know, the nine or the eight out of 10. But yeah, the the first question you asked me was about knowledge. So obviously a lot will come from just clinical experience. And as I kind of alluded to, it helps if you're an IMT3 doing cardiology now, or you're a clinical fellow, but I wasn't. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, damn that my colleagues, some of them that are doing it have a real advantage, but I think you can make it up by just preparing a bit more. But what I did for the knowledge, I essentially revised my medical school cardiology notes, and they'd been supplemented with like MRCP information when I'd done the exams. Uh, And I made sure I was comfortable with ECG interpretation and basic transthoracic echo, because they could well show you a still of an echo image or an ECG. And then because they're clinical scenarios, it kind of made sense to me to kind of look at clinical cases textbooks, so I came across one in the library. I bought it in as well. It's called Clinical Cases Uncovered: Cardiology. And I thought it was it was
0: good. If anyone's uh, if anyone's listening, I this is not actually a a plug, but genuinely that is as I said before. And this is that's exactly the same book that I used for my interview. And I found it so useful. But I actually kept it for my first SD three year. wrapped a few library finds with it, but it's, it's actually a very useful. Useful. <laughs> book. Like, there's there's lots of these kind of. Books. I'm sure there's lots of similar books, but it seemed quite relevant and it's certainly not out of date. Yeah, there's a very. Yeah, I think
1: one of those books. I, I, I did what did you use for ECGs? So for ECG, I used ECG Made Easy, and for echo, so I've done a trans thoracic echo course. I have like a, a BSc textbook that I kind of noted at the time of the course, so I kind of made my own notes, but just something really kind of basic. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you don't need to waste time on too much, you yeah. know, like knowledge, but definitely
0: not just like, it, it's just knowing the obvious things, like, like knowing what, knowing the four views, knowing what an effusion looks like, and knowing if the heart's not beating very well, or is like massively dilated, these, these kind of things. So th- I'm, I'm just thinking, these are things that have definitely come up, in a vast, you know a very dilated very dilated heart post cardiac arrest has come up with vast things like that so yeah and again for ecg i use that ecg made easy and it got like a accompanying like a book of it, like 100 ecg i just went through that and i opened it and it was actually quite demoralizing at first i was like how many of these i just didn't know <laughs> you're like gosh this is really really don't you when it case two but yeah they like,
1: really 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 useful um, so, yeah, someone gave me that book as well. I didn't actually have time to read it. I had a look at a couple, yeah. but a friend of mine used it and thought it was really good. Yeah, That's good. Yeah. Um, and then there's one other top, which is the ESC guidelines, which, um, so the, the big ones are obviously long and they're dense and they take ages to go through. Um, and I started reading them and it just took too long uh, with work and life commitments. And I think there are some that are better than others. So like they're ones on heart failure, AF, ACS, and they're obviously more relevant than like the pediatric cardiology ESC guidelines. What there is, is the ESC pocketbook, which you can get on the app. And for example, things like pericarditis and hokum, they're really good guidelines on that. So my kind of reflection on that is I'm happy. I read some of the big guidelines, like the key ones. But it's just not possible to read them all, I think, realistically. And the pocketbook going through that, I think, is really useful. It just ups that level a little bit more of knowledge. I think if you can smack that into your aunt to say, like, oh, you know, it's a,
0: a 2B recommendation, you know, ESC 2B recommendation or something, anything like that. I <laughs> mean, uh,
1: yeah. you already, know, you know, you're smashing that station. <laughs> yeah. I- and you know, yeah, sure. It, it's obviously great to say too, you, but you don't have to. But no, like, the, but you I, still get full marks if you don't. Like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, obviously. So I wouldn't waste too much time, also, because it's a lot, right? I, I wouldn't be like, I'm going to learn all what what one A and all these things are.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Sorry, if anyone asks you, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Is but I think actually the easy one is a good one to look at towards the end because if you if you're if they don't seem unusual to you and you're like, yep, that sounds reasonable, that's what I would do. And then it's actually a lot easier because you've already done a lot of the book work that's needed behind the guidelines. So really, Mm. it's only a few extra things that you pick up or just kind of crystallizes things in your mind at what should be first, what should be second. Mm. That's the way I probably, uh, from memory, memory use the guidelines. But uh, Yeah, I'd, I'd agree.
1: Anything else that you can think of that you might use for the interviews or anything, any other tips that you can think of? Yeah. Yeah. General tips. So I think it's, it's kind of common sense, but just give it everything. I, I remember you describing at the course, you saying treat this as an exam, you know, spend the time on it. I'd say I worked harder on this interview than any other exam I've, I've sat because it just meant more. And yeah, I, I, I had to make some sacrifices. And I'm not saying that that's what everyone needs to do. But in my kind of view, I think 90% of this is hard work, 10% luck. And 10% is luck, you know, your interviewer might wake up on the wrong side of the bed, but 90% is you've got a lot of control over it. So if you just give it your all, you're, you know, you're on your way. I think, you know, the, doing an interview course was useful, even if it adds that 1%, 1% can make a big difference. Practicing. So... And I think do what works best for you. So a lot of people said, uh, try and practice with a cardiology consultant or a registrar. And then practically, however, that's not always the easiest thing because they're all really busy. But if you are able to find someone and you can get over that fear of embarrassment of, you know, not looking that great as you practice. I personally found it really useful because they just pick up on things that you just wouldn't have known. So... I remember as a space filler, I'd be like, if someone asked me a question, I'd be like, oh yeah, a uh, really interesting question. And this guy was like, don't say that, validation. And, and he said, instead, if you need to have a think about something, just say, okay, can you just give me a few seconds just to think about that? It just sounds a bit more polished. Ironically, I didn't listen to my own advice and I said, oh, that's an interesting question in the interview. Because they asked me something and I was like, oh no, I, I haven't prepared for this. I need to think. But that's okay too. But... That that's the kind of thing I think you'll get when you practice with someone else um, that's been through it. Uh, And videoing yourself, I think, is quite good or looking in the mirror. And it's I've ended up with some very cringe videos on my phone now. uh, (laughs) No one will ever see. But it just picks up those, you know, it picks up your diction and flow. And for example, some people use filler words like, oh, do you know what I mean? Or something like that. And it just shows you, oh, you're saying it, and then you're a bit more aware to, to kind of try and cut them out. But overall, you know, when I've been talking today, part of me has been thinking, I've only just been through it. Who, who am I to give this advice? But I, I think the way you approach these things is so subjective and personal. And I think if anyone listening, if you kind of disagree with it, I think that's okay too, because you have your own methods of doing things. But it's kind of my perspective, I think, on... on I'm now going through it what 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 i've learned what i've learned from it yeah i think that's my general kind of tips
0: No, yeah, i just fan, genuinely fantastic tips and uh he yeah, obviously did a uh, fantastically well and he'll be at barts next year so uh yeah. to you. it's definitely it's definitely worked and thank you to you for helping me because you did um, so great well thanks so much for all for uh sharing experience and words of wisdom with us today and i uh,
1: oh, very useful advice thank you for having me no, I don't. All right. See you next time. <laughs>